Turn in your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 1. We're still in the book of Romans, still in chapter 1. Next week, Lord willing, we'll be moving to chapter 2. Um, the title of the sermon this morning is The Lie of LGBT or LGBTQ or LGBTQI or LGBTQ+, whichever one of those you want. Um, it's just your typical Father's Day sermon, right? If you don't know, LGBT stands for uh, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and then many people have added uh, to that. And we're dealing with it because it's in Romans 1. And um, I'm obviously not a calendar preacher. My goal and passion is always just to bring to you the Word of God verse by verse uh, through the text that God puts in front of us. And that's what we're doing uh, this morning as well. Um, there have been some concerns, as some people have seen uh, the title of my sermon, so they've called me or emailed me or texted me or somehow communicated that they are concerned uh, that um, perhaps I would uh, present this message uh, in an unloving fashion. Perhaps that's because um, so many churches have had uh, just mean demonstrations, uh, unloving uncaring kind of presentation on this subject. Well, that's not my intent at all. Um, I have had in God's providence some of my best friends in all of life um, have embraced the LGBT lifestyle uh, and uh, are continuing in the LBGT lifestyle. Uh, I have spent hours with them Many times with them. I've been to their house. They've been to my house. We've eaten meals together. We've done home projects together. We've done business projects together. Uh, We've water skied together. We've played golf together. Uh, I have friends that I love dearly. And some of them will hear this message. Some of them might even be here. I would not want them ever to feel as though I was condemning them. Or that I was being mean to them. I've sought nothing but to be kind and gentle towards them. And I think if they were to give testimony, they would say that's the case. So you don't have to have any fears that somehow this message is going to be mean or condemning. It's not going to be. Uh, Because I love LGBT people. And I have. And I have a track record of doing that and testimony from them that I have done so. That does not mean, though, that I won't speak the truth of God in love. And I think that's the greatest fear I have today is that the church, in wanting to love LGBT, has abandoned the truth of God in so doing. You can have an LGBT friend, but still speak to them the truth of God in love. I guess as I was thinking about that this morning, I even woke up thinking, you know, I think our um, uh, temptation as the body of Christ might be to um, want to love and ignore. Let me just share, it's not in Romans, but let me just share a quick um, judgment God gave in the book of Isaiah chapter 5 verse 20. He says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil 
who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes, clever in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes in drinking wine and valiant men and mixing strong drink, who justify the wicked for a bribe, take away the rights of the ones who are in the right. Therefore, a tongue of fire consumes stubble and dry grass collapses into flame, so their root will become like a rot and their blossom blow away as dust. Why? Here's the reason. Because they have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts and despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. In our love for others, we can't stop loving God. In our love for what other people think and say, we can't stop loving what God thinks and God says. So what I'm going to present to you this morning is God's word on the subject of LGBT lifestyle. You find it there in Romans 1. Verse 26 and 27. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire towards one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. God is describing in a list of sins here that he's given over these who are abandoning him as their creator. He's given them over to unnatural functions to degrading passions to indecent behavior. That's God's description. That's God's word. We can't rip that out. So this is not something we can be proud about. This is not something we can parade. This is not something that I would want to be defined as. I wouldn't want to define myself as the way God has described it, as indecent, as degrading, as unnatural. And yet we have that lifestyle in our society where they want to be defined by it. And the only way they can be defined by it and uh, embrace it is to ignore God's word on it. And so since we are here, let's hear God's word. God says, I've given you over, it's a degrading passion. It's an unnatural thing that you are doing. It's an indecent thing that you are an act that you are committing. Well, that's what Romans 1 says. What else does God say about it? I want to give you other verses. As I've uh, talked with my friends, the first, the first friend um, that invited me to his house and his bedroom years ago, I said, wait, 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 wait. What do you do with Romans 1? I said, what you're inviting me to is an indecent act. It's an unnatural act thing that you are encouraging. It's a degrading passion. 
So let's use God's word to define this situation. He said, oh, 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 that's just Romans 1. There are other passages in Scripture. Uh, this is not just a one-time message from God. So let's look at the other so that you have the knowledge of God's word. Because you will be invited to embrace this lifestyle if you've not already been so. So hear God's word. Look at Genesis uh, 18. Here's the famous story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Genesis 18. Let me read um, sections of this for, for us. Genesis 18, verse 20. And the Lord said, The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah, it's indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. So what we're about to read, God has already defined as a sin. This is not just a description of uh, something that's happening, but it's clearly a sin in God's book. Chapter 19 of uh, Genesis, beginning at verse 4. Before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, surrounded the house, both young and old, all the people from every quarter. And they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we may have relations with them. But Lot went out um, to them at the doorway, and he shut the door behind him. And he said, Please, my brothers, do not act wickedly. Now, behold, I have two daughters who have had no relations with man. Please let me bring them out to you and do to them whatever you like. Only do nothing to these men inasmuch as they have come under uh, the shelter of my roof. But they said, stand aside. Furthermore, they said, this one is an alien, and already he's acting like a judge. Now we will treat you worse than them. So these men knew they were going to treat somebody poorly, badly. They even defined it that way themselves. God defines it as evil, as sin, and of course, you could read on, Sodom was destroyed because of this evil, men wanting to have relations with men, unnatural, degrading, uh, for that to be occurring. You specifically have it mentioned in the law of God, Leviticus 18. So turn there, Leviticus chapter 18. Leviticus 18, verse 22. You shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female. It's an abomination. Chapter 20, same book, verse 13. If there's a man who lies with a male as those who lie with a woman, both of them have committed a detestable act. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood guiltiness is upon them. Again, you find the same language God has in Romans 1. It's detestable. It's unseemly. It's unnatural. It's um, worthy of death. Romans 1 verse 32 talks about all of the sins that are listed there are worthy of death. So God, um, one other word God added there was it's an abomination. Uh, God clearly condemns homosexuality. Lesbianism, 
the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender um, lifestyle. That's God's condemnation. God's our only judge. He doesn't tell us to go and do that. But he tells us this is the way he views this activity. Um, Genesis 2, before we leave the Old Testament, I want to just go ahead and jump to Genesis 2, verse 18. And just a reminder of the description God gives us here of Adam. <coughs> verse 18 So then the Lord God said, Genesis 2, God said, It's not good for a man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. So before the creation of Eve, we have description. God saying, I'm going to create Eve, and she's going to be a suitable helper for him. Verse 20, the man uh, gave names to all the cattle, all the birds of the sky, and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. Same language again. For the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs, and he closed up the place, flesh at that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man, and he brought her to the man. Um, what did God design as a suitable helper for a male? It was a female. God doesn't bring a male to a male. And he didn't create a female for a female. He said what is natural, what would be suitable, natural in this sense, would be male-female relations. That's the way God designed it. That's the way God created us. That's why you have the language when we try to go against that very suitableness that God has created. God says, no, 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 that, that's unnatural. That's contrary to design. Uh, look at in some New Testament passages. Jude chapter 7. Jude's the book right before the book of Revelation. So you can find it fairly quickly. Jude 7. Here's a description of the Sodom and Gomorrah situation. Jude 7. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around him since they, in the same way as those indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh and exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Jude's point is that God is going to judge the world, and we need to be ready for that judgment. He says, I'll give you an example of of, of what God's going to do. He says, go back to Sodom and Gomorrah. There you had a physical example of God judging. And he was judging because there were people going after strange flesh. Um, it, it was a gross, they were indulged in gross immorality. So that's the description you have of it there. Un, the unnaturalness of Sodom brought about God's judgment. Two more quick New Testament passages. Look at 1 Timothy 1, verses 8 through 10. 1 Timothy 1, beginning at verse 8. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, realizing the fact that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for those who are lawless. Begin to notice Timothy's list here uh, of our descriptions those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and the profane, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers and immoral men and homosexuals. 
and kidnappers and liars and perjurers and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which uh, I have been entrusted. So here we have homosexuals in the list of those who need the law of God, who are uh, considered immoral, unnatural, murderers, all of those, homosexuality is in that list. And then one more place, 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning at verse 9, 9, 10, and 11. It says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither fornicators. So here's his list of people not going to heaven. Neither fornicators. We talked about that last week. Nor idolaters. Nor adulterers nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. So that's what God's word says about the whole LGBT lifestyle. That's God's take on it. It is not a lifestyle God approves. Um, though you can love someone who has that lifestyle, the fact that you love them does not mean you endorse their sin and their lifestyle. We can love people without endorsing their sin. We have to lovingly explain to them, you know, yeah, I love you, but you realize you're not described by heaven very nicely. And my love for you would encourage you to turn back to the way God has designed us to be. Well, I've done that with my close LGBT friends. I've spent hours talking with them. I've asked them, I said, could could I share with you what God says? Can I open the Word of God with you? Will you read the Bible with me? And their response has been, Because we were such close friends, their response was, well, sure. And so I've read those scriptures to them. And I've gotten their responses and their feedback. And so I want to share some of those responses. And not only have I gotten their verbal responses, but I've gotten some written documents from them. Because one of the questions I like to ask people when I I find that we, we have strong disagreements... And we love, you know, you want to respect each other as, as highly as you can. So one of the questions I like to ask uh, when I'm in this disagreeing situation is, what are you reading? Are you reading any good books? Are you reading commentaries or, or, or books that interpret the scripture I just read to you? Are you reading stuff that interprets it differently? I mean, because how are we seeing this so differently? And so my friends have given me books that I've read that have interpreted those passages differently and they have embraced those interpretations. And so I want to share some of that as well as my evaluation of it. So let's go back to the Genesis 19 passage of Sodom and Gomorrah because what you will frequently hear hear from your LGBT friends is Sodom and Gomorrah were not judged and punished and obliterated and burned up because of homosexuality. That wasn't the sin at all. And I'm thinking, it wasn't. Well, what was it? And they say, the sin was inhospitality. 
And they've interpreted this passage to mean that. So let's, let's go back there and I'll show you where they, where they get that or how they um, make the scriptures, in my estimation, make the scriptures say what they want it to say. Um, if you go back to Genesis 9, it says... Um, they use the, the Hebrew word, uh, some of you who've, who've uh, heard this word before, it's yada. Uh, uh, it means to know. It's, a he, it's Genesis 19, verse 5. And they called to Lot and they said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may, and my uh, version of the Bible, New American Standard says, have relations with them. Literally in the Hebrew says, so that we may know them. And you probably are familiar with the number of scripture that a man went to know his wife, which means he had uh, sexual intercourse with his wife. That's what the Hebrew word to know meant, to have intimate relations with, which is why my translation translated it, uh, to have relations with. The LGBT says to know can also mean to make acquaintance with. So it's not just to have sexual relations with, but to make acquaintance. And so these men, really the whole city, surrounded Lot's house. And as they surrounded Lot's house, all they were asking was, you've got some guests in your house, and we have come to make acquaintance, to know them, to make acquaintance with them. And your refusal is just inhospitable. And that's why the place was judged. Well, it's not consistent with the text because the same word, yada, there in verse 5 is also used by um, Lot down in verse 9, uh, no, excuse me, verse 8, when he says, um, now I have two daughters and, who have not had relations, same word, who have not, yada, not known men, meaning they have, they're virgins, they haven't had sexual intercourse with anybody, uh, It'd kind of be ridiculous, wouldn't it, say, I've got two daughters, and they've never made acquaintances. They've never had an opportunity for hospitality. I guess I've locked them up in the dungeon all their life, and this would be the first time they, you know, get to come out. See, that interpretation of the text, it doesn't work. And then God describes it in Jude and other places as, as immoral. Activity that was happening. Well, they're saying the immoral activity was was just inhospitality. I don't think it's a good interpretation of the text, and it, it really even makes uh, Lot the one at times. He was just as inhospitable as the rest of the people. Why did he get to escape the judgment, and the other people were in the judgment? So it doesn't work, and it doesn't work when you understand the text. You know, a lot of people say, "What is this whole idea?" Can I can I take a rabbit trail real quick? What's this whole idea of Lot saying, "Let me bring my two daughters out"? Is he making his daughters there just sexual objects? Not at all. What Lot is doing here, I think many people just miss what's going. On. He's just using good argument. It's a rhetorical remark. It's, 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 it's a pretentious or a fictitious statement. And they understood it that way because they were furious with him after he said it. He said, you want to have male-to-male homosexual relations with my guest. He says, really? 
He said, I would consider that a detestable thing. You really want to do it? I'll tell you what, I'll give you my two daughters. You go have sexual relations with them. And they said, absolutely not. They were furious at the suggestion. Why? Well, who's in the crowd? It says the whole city was there. These daughters are engaged to be married. Their fiancés are in the crowd. These, so, we're not going to literally rape. And by the way, the same word, Hebrew word, yada, there, is in Judges 19. Remember the concubine who was raped all night? Same word. They understood the word. We're not going to spend the night raping our fiancés, the people we're going to, the girls we're going to marry. That's detestable, and that's Lot's point. As detestable as that is, so it would be detestable for you to have relations with these men who just came in. So that's the right response that you will have to give to the LBT crowd who wants to say it was just... In hospitality, that's the only thing that's really going on there in Genesis 19. Number two, uh, sometimes they say, remember Jude 7 talked about strange flesh? Um, And one of the uh, responses I've gotten from my friends is, what God is describing is not man to man, female to female. God is describing something that's strange and out there, and it's really male to angel. Or female to angel. Since I don't hear that much and because of time, I won't spend a lot on that. Um, there's too much language in the scriptures that says the unnatural is man to man, woman to woman. Um, then to, to wrestle with Jude 7 and uh, 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 Peter, Second Peter 2, about whether or not it possibly could be an angel. You've got enough other places to go. So um, you may hear that argument, but it's, it's not going to be a big one. Uh, no, number three, some people say that the Leviticus passages I refer to, Leviticus 18, remember that? Verse 22, it's the law of God. A man shall not lie with a man. And also in Leviticus chapter 20. Well, they say that was done away with. All of Levitical laws were done away with when Christ showed up. So you'll hear that argument. So that, that used to be something that God forbade, but He doesn't forbid it now. That's not true at all. All of Levitical laws were not abrogated when Christ showed up. What was abrogated when Christ showed up? There's a distinction between civil laws, laws that were for the state of Israel ceremonial laws, sacrifices that people made, and moral laws. What was done away with when Christ showed up was all the sacrificial laws, the ceremonial laws. Because all the ceremonies, the sacrifices, were pointing to the one true sacrifice, which was Christ. So their problem here is they they failed to make the distinction. God didn't do away with moral laws. He only did away with sacrificial or the ceremonial laws. There was no ceremony about men having sex with men or women having sex so that that would go away and now it's fine. That was a moral law and God put it in the category of moral law when he gave it the death penalty. He says any man who's found lying with a man should be put to death. He put it in the category of moral law. There's no death penalty for any ceremonial law. Not that I'm aware of. It's a clear 
distinction between them. So uh, you will hear the argument that it, it was, it was uh, abrogated with the coming of Christ, but that's not, not at all the case. Um, and then number four, the word natural. In Romans 1, this is perhaps becoming more and more popular. Romans 1, 26 and 27 that I've read to you. It's a, it's, it's a, they've exchanged the natural function. Well, the interpretation LGBT gives there is subjective instead of objective. Again, when you're looking at the, the law of God, it's very objective. Uh, it's clear. It's cut and dry. This is God's standard. But they say, well, it's God's standard for you. Let's go subjective. See, it's natural for you, a male, to have sex with a female or a female to have sex with a male. But it's not natural for me. That's what I mean by subjective. And so they want to interpret Romans 1 and say, what's natural for you is not natural for me because I was born this way. This is, this is the way I feel. This is what I feel is most natural. This is what makes me feel right. Well, don't forget in Romans 1, it was... Um, introduced uh, with the whole uh, kind of caveat, verse 22, professing to be wise, they became fools. You think you figured out a way to tweak it, make it fit. And God says that is so foolish because what you're doing is exchanging the, the, the design of the Creator. And you're seeking to be that which creates and designs things your ways and it's just foolish because you will have to face your creator you are not that person um, so those are some of the questions you're going to get I mean some of the responses you're going to get some of the interpretations you're going to get now let's get to, to the application for you and me and for them the question is okay so uh, they didn't change my mind and I haven't changed their mind we both looked at the same scripture and we're coming to different conclusions. So where does that leave us? Will the LGBT friend, this is the number one question I get, will the LGBT friend go to heaven? If the LGBT friend's not just a friend, he's my son. Or she's my daughter. Will they go to heaven? And we've had to deal with that here in this church. We've had people in this church who have had spouses leave them to go be LGBT. Will they go to heaven? Well, the answer to that is, you know, as, as much as you, we want to love them, is no. LGBT lovers of God do not inherit heaven. Um, now, why is this important? Because, you know, some people will ask me, say, David, you spent a lot of time, only 5% of our population is LGBT. Well, it's a growing percentage. But 5% out of... 320 million folks is 16 million. That's a pretty good-sized number. That's why all of us know one or two or have friends or have relatives. So we need to know this. And are they going to heaven? I have sat down with my friends and say, you know, you're putting yourself in a category that does not inherit the kingdom of God. And their response to me is, well, again, your opinion. So, no, it's not my opinion. It's your behavior is contrary to the law of God. Look at Matthew chapter 7. 
You're telling me you're a Christian. But you're not behaving like a Christian. Matthew chapter 7. God uh, speaks about um, the end time. Verse uh, 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So you say you're, Jesus is your Lord and you're going to heaven. God says, well, just because you say it doesn't mean it's going to happen. Who's going to heaven will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. So knowing the will of God, knowing what God says about a matter is crucial. Verse 22, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Notice this description. Depart from me, you who practice, what? Lawlessness. You're not keeping the law of God. You're not living according to the will of God. As I said, I have spent time with LGBT friends. I've had, we've had Bible studies together. We've prayed together. We've gone to church together. And they say they are Christians. And yet God says, just because you say all of that, doesn't mean you will inherit the kingdom of God. Because your lifestyle is contrary to the law of God. It's contrary to the will of God. Knowing that is very sobering, and it's crucial that we know it. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 again, verses 9 through 11. And it's, 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 it's uh, couched in these words. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. Do you not know the unrighteous, so it's talking about lifestyle, will not inherit the kingdom of God. You will not go to heaven. Do not be deceived. And then you find the LGBT in the list. Do not be deceived. So as, you know, you, you hang out with, with some of the nicest people. And they say, don't worry about me. I'm going to heaven. I read my Bible. I pray. I go to church. But see, you don't have sex according to the law of God. And because you don't live according to the law of God, but you blatantly exchange the truth for a lie, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. You need to know that. Second, how do we live with LGBT family and friends? Well, I've already answered that enough a number of times. With love, with gentleness, with kindness. Not condemning them, but loving them. We're going to get to chapter 2, Romans chapter 2 next, which talks about don't think you're better than them. So I... It's just sad that we've had a number of church people who act like they're better than other sinners. They, they've read Romans 1 and missed Romans 2. We're going to get there. How do you respond to people who are living a lifestyle of sin? You respond with love and gentleness and kindness. It's the love and kindness of God that leads to repentance. It's not the fire and brimstone and judgment of, of wrath of man that leads to repentance. But it's the loving kindness of God. So make sure we treat 
um, those that are living immoral lives with great love and compassion. Just because you love them doesn't mean you endorse all that they, they are doing. Number three, is there any hope that an LGBT person will change? Absolutely. Yes, there's hope. Why? Hope is, you're, when are you hopeless? You're hopeless when you live in this world without God. You're not hopeless when you live in sin. There's hope for sinners. Regardless of what the sin is. So is there hope for LGBT? Yes. Again, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You can wear this passage out uh, on the subject. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, verse 11. After the list of uh, people who are not going to heaven, neither did the effeminate nor the homosexuals will go to heaven. Verse 11. Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified. So there's hope. That you're in this lifestyle, and then you are transformed. You're taken out of this lifestyle. You're washed. You're sanctified by Christ. So there's great hope um, that uh, LGBT can turn from sin, embrace the truth of God, and be washed and sanctified by grace, by Christ. So continue to pray for them. Continue to love them. Continue to be kind. Continue to be gentle and seek to show them the mercy and grace of God. Um, Number four, are LGBT desires a force beyond their control? So then they come and say, well, I appreciate all the kindness you've shown me, but what you don't understand is I can't, I can't change. I can't do anything about it. I was born this way. I have, uh, been born with this condition. I've always had these desires and they're never going to go away. I've been living with this 40 or 50 years. It's just not going to happen. So are their desires a force beyond their control? The answer, yes, absolutely. They are a force beyond their control. Sin is a force beyond all of our controls. We are all born in sin and without hope unless God invades us. Again, I remind you, Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 5. Let's read it real quick. It's just worth it. Um, Are we in need of Christ? Absolutely. Ephesians 2, verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. I'm dead in it. I can't do anything about it. Verse 2, in which you formerly walk according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. I mean, you just live this life that's contrary to God. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Verse 3, among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh. So we have these fleshly desires that are just wrong, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath. I realize I'm under the wrath of God. God's going to judge me. He's not going to send me to heaven. And we're by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, verse 4, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Hallelujah. Are they stuck in sin? Absolutely. When they tell me, this is, this is who I am, I'm stuck this way, I, I was born this way, my response, absolutely, that's my point. 
You're stuck in a condition that is sending you to hell. You need the grace and mercy of Christ. Why are you not pleading for it? Why are you not pleading for mercy? God, change me. Because my desires are described by you as unnatural. They're described by you as contrary to the design, contrary to the creator, as detestable, as degrading passions. They They are despicable in your sight. I have no hope unless you change me. Change me. God must be the one who changes us. I can't fix you. You can't fix you. Only Christ can fix us and reprogram and reorient and transform and conform us to the image of Christ. We are beyond all self-control as far as getting out of our predicament. So understand that. Number five, what if we right now have same-sex attractions? Doesn't God want us to be true to our feelings? No. No. You may have same-sex attractions. I may have same-sex attractions. What does God want when we have same-sex attractions? Does he say, well, just be true to your feelings? No, he says, be true to the Word of God, true to the law of God. Be conformed to the image of Christ. Abandon the same-sex attractions. Turn from them. But I can't, no, you can't make them go away. Only Christ can make them go away. So turn to Christ. Seek His grace. Seek His mercy. But it's contrary to feelings. Yes, it's contrary to feelings. Your feelings are wrong. Your feelings are degrading desires. Their lust is what they're called for unnatural things. And we have them. You have them. Everyone I've known has had them. Some have them stronger than others. But we must turn from our lust and turn to Christ, who alone can help us. Luke 9, 23, one of the first verses I ever memorized. He who wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Joel Osteen said, it just came to me, I hate bashing people, but he recently said in print, in one of his sermons, that the Christian was never required to deny himself. You should seek your best life now. You shouldn't deny anything. Crazy. When I read that, I said, has he not read Luke 9, 23? If anyone... Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. Self-denial is required. That would be going contrary to my feelings. Absolutely. We have feelings. We have desires that we need cut off. And they can only be cut off by the grace and mercy of God. Turn from your lust. Turn to Christ. Deny yourself. Yes, it's like bearing a cross. But it's a pain worth taking. Contrary to everything that feels right. To follow Christ. To follow the word of God. We are born in sin. We are born contrary to God. And we are in great need to be 
rescued out of that sin and transformed. Jesus died for LGBT sins. Such are some of you. Jesus died for LGBT sins, just as he died for any sin you've committed. Don't run from God. Run to God. He desires to be a merciful Redeemer and Savior. Let me pray for us. Father, as we think through a subject that we can't turn on the TV anymore without it just hitting us in the face. And we're in a society that just not only wants to be loving and kind or tolerant to others, but they want to embrace the doctrines. Father, bring us back to the Word of God as our standard. Your Word is truth. Lord, let us rest there. Let us be true to You. Forgive us of our sins. Lord, we've all committed sins today, this week. We've all gone too far with something. We've lusted after wanting to feel good. And we wanted to be true to those feelings, even when those feelings were contrary to the law of God. Father, may we have the law of God more easily accessible in our hearts and mind. And may we be conformed to it. May we be those who are true to the will of God, who know that the will of God is this, that we abstain from sexual immorality, that we embrace the holiness of our Redeemer. Father, make us winsome. Make us lovers of people in such a way that we see more and more turn from their sin and brought to the grace and mercy of Christ. May we be those who are good at reaching out and ministering to those who have been ostracized and hurt and treated badly. Lord, let us love them so that they may see the mercy of Christ. We thank you, Lord, for this time to seek your mercy and to seek your grace. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.